You're listening to Kiss My Glass, a monthly podcast serving up the latest news, trends, and events relating to all things liquid in San Diego. This podcast is recorded as a collaboration between Pacific Magazine and Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego. It is released on the fourth Monday of each month and hosted on the UT Podcast Network. If you want to continue the conversation, be sure to visit the EDSD group on Facebook and head to pacificsandiego.com for updates on bar and brewery openings, beer of the week features, brewer and bartender profiles, and drink forward events. Also be sure to check out Dish It Up, our sister podcast focusing on the food scene around San Diego, which hits podcast platforms on the second Monday of every month. Without further ado, here's your host, Edwin Rial. This is Edwin Rial, and this is Kiss My Glass, a collaboration podcast between Pacific Magazine and Eating and Drinking in San Diego. Today's guest is Jesse Pine. Jesse is the founder of a local brewery called Pure Project. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing great, Edwin. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, tell us about your brewery. Um, Yeah, so we've been open now just a little over three years. Um, It's been... A lot longer than three years since we started the project, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, we're a younger brewery. Um, we focus a lot more on sourcing local ingredients, um, focusing on the quality of the products that we use in our beer, and just doing more small batch kind of boutique beer. Our brewery is really small. You've seen it. Yes. <laughs> uh, for those of you ha- that haven't been there, it's at Miramar, um, right by Ballast Point. Um, and we share a wall with Amplified mm-hmm. Aleworks. But Tasting room is about 300 square feet, uh, so we try to squeeze as many bodies in there as we can, which tends to happen a lot. Um, but yeah, our, our story is kind of unique. When we originally wanted to start the brewery, it was out in Costa Rica, and I spent some time out there, about three years to be exact. And when I moved out there, the whole thought was, well, I have nothing to do out in Costa Rica, and there was no good craft beer out there. So kind of chatting through that with my business partner, Matt, trying to figure out, you know, something that I could do in Costa Rica to, I guess, uh, fill in my time because it's a pretty, pretty slow life out there. And one of those things was brewing beer. So kind of taught myself how to brew beer at home. Um, never been a professional brewer by any means, so I can't take any claim to the products we release now. But yeah, started brewing down there and uh, put together a business plan on how to make craft beer in another country, uh, which failed ultimately. <laughs> uh, it was about an 18-month process down what there. What made it fail? There was a lot of different things um, that come into the equation, but the biggest thing was our environmental impact that we could have down there. If you haven't been to Costa Rica, which I'm not sure if you have not. Okay. Uh, beautiful country. Um, there... I wouldn't say it's quite third world, but the town of Manuel Antonio that I lived in was pretty rural. If you had a septic system, you were lucky. You know, a lot of these buildings were there since the 60s and 70s. And at that time, nobody thought about, you know, sewer systems or, you know, how to deal with waste down there. It was kind of the wild, the jungle in reality. So uh, when you make beer, you make a lot of wastewater. And how do you deal with that, right, without having an impact on the environment? And that was one thing with the amount of funding that we got that we couldn't find a solution for because down there we would have to basically treat our own water and build our own wastewater treatment plant. And that kind of brought up our costs substantially. Uh, we were underfunded as, as it stood. And um, I think the decision to kind of pull the plug on that was, was primarily just, yeah, we didn't want to have an impact on the environment down there. We moved to this beautiful you know, place in the world. And last thing you want to do is Ruin it. open up a, a <laughs> manufacturing plant right in the middle of the jungle that just you know, kills the, the local agriculture. So... Um, that was that was the big reason. I'd say that was the primary reason on why we didn't do it. And when you decided to reinvent this, 
brewery, you decided to do it in San Diego. And why San Diego? Uh, well, before I moved down to Costa Rica, I was living in San okay. Diego. Um, originally from Northern California. Lost my hella uh, only a few years ago uh, in Northern California. <laughs> uh, still comes back every now and then, though. But, um, yeah, originally from NorCal, and I spent, I'd say, a good 10 years down here. And um, I was in kind of like the, the white-collar business for a while, um, which is, I guess, why I moved to Costa Rica. I needed to get away from things. Uh, but long story short, um, I was at a turning point where I was planning on leaving Costa Rica and going back to the, the U.S. to be closer to family. And uh, it's kind of out a fork in the road because I really love the mountains. And um, Colorado is one of the places that I really saw myself moving to. But... Basically, the weekend when Matt and I decided that we didn't want to do the brewery anymore, like it was so many, so many hurdles we had to overcome, and um, the, kind of the, the nail in the coffin was the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, we had a conversation on a Friday, and it was a tough conversation to have. Right? We decided, hey, this isn't working out. Like, let's focus on some other businesses. Let's. We tried. You know, we gave a valiant effort. It was 18 months into it, uh, and we both had that aha moment that it was time to pull the plug. And then it was. That Saturday, I got an email from a good friend of mine, Zach. Um, he works in commercial real estate. And he knew I was starting a brewery, and he found this project in Miramar. It was called the Igniter Space, yeah, uh, which is through HD Fenton. They're a big developer here. And he just was throwing it out to me because he's like, hey, you know about beer. Is this something I should represent? Is this you know, a cool project? And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, and I had actually been planning on coming to back to San Diego for a wedding the following week. And I was like, let's go see it when I come out there. So uh, fast forward, went and saw the property, talked to Matt about it. And then we just basically presented the idea to all of our investors. Um, all investors were on board with the idea, except for we had two investors down in Costa Rica, which pulled their money out for obvious reasons. They wanted to keep it in the country, which is totally fine. Uh, raised a little bit more capital and signed a lease in August and was open in January. Jeez. Yeah. Full because it, it was totally uh, plug and play, that uh, Igniter program, right? Yeah. By design, um, or I guess by concept it is, by design, it had some flaws. I think the concept itself is, is a wonderful concept, like in... I can sit here and, and say, you know, with straight face, like, if it wasn't for that the igniter space, we would not be in business. Like, Pure Project would cease to exist at this point because we were dead in the water. We didn't want to spend another year or two trying to find a location, um, but also raise more money. I mean, we started brewery with $180,000, which is pretty much unheard of. Right. So by having that opportunity in that space, it allowed us to use that all for working capital. Um, but just being exhausted after 18 months of trying to open in Costa Rica, like I didn't even want to spend another two years trying to do it. Because those people that are listening to this podcast who have started a brewery know it'll take you a year to find a place and it'll take you a year to get the permits to start building out. So you're looking at a good two years until you actually have a brewery open, plus probably about a million dollars or more right, right. to do it right. Uh, of course, you can do it smaller and um, you know cut corners here and there. But if you want to do a brewery the right way, it's, it's a good amount of time. So I'd probably say... And I might be misspeaking here, but we may have set the record as far as signing a lease and having a brewery open like the shortest amount of time. Which yeah, right. Really cool. Yeah, it was great. And that um, that brew house is what? It's a 10-barrel system? So the one we have is seven. Seven-barrel, okay. Yeah, I know the other igniter spaces, I believe the one down in... Um, North Park? North Park, and also I think Carlsbad are 10-barrel system. Okay. So, yeah, ours is the very first one. So they, they learned a little bit after yeah. ours, but yeah. You're... Your beer is very popular, especially the can releases. Sure. Um, are you at capacity over there? 
So we reached capacity pretty much the end of last year. The space was delivered with four 15-barrel fermenters. Pretty much immediately afterwards, maybe six to eight months afterwards, we added three more 20-barrel fermenters, um, which got us to the point of a capacity of around 2,000 barrels based on how quickly we could turn our tanks. Um, last year, I think we did a little over 1,900 barrels. So we were at capacity. Yeah. And um, luckily, we have such a great landlord. And being in a business park, there's so much space available that we were able to get the suite right next door to us, knock a hole in the wall. And we just added three more 40-barrel fermenters that just went online uh, this month of early April. And that allowed us to double our capacity. And we've added some equipment to it that can hopefully allow us to get to five, maybe even 6,000 barrels with those tanks. So hope to make a lot of beer this, this year is the goal. Which leads to the next question. You're already in construction in Bankers Hill, which is right down from our offices here. Um, But you're also looking at a uh, spot in Carlsbad. Yeah, Uh, busy, uh, needless to say. So we're we're at year three, so it's kind of our, our growth time, right? This is where... <clears throat> Excuse me. We've been we've been looking at tasting rooms for a long time, about two and a half years actually, and the retail market is is very very competitive in San Diego. You know, everybody wants to open up a bar, everybody wants to open up a cafe, like which is great. Um, I love to see local businesses thrive and uh, the community grow, right? Um, but when you're in the business of alcohol, getting the permitting to basically open takes time. You know, it can take three to six months and. When you're competing on a retail space with, say, you know, a cafe or gelato shop that can be open in 30 days, you know, less equipment, less permitting is evolved versus us that could be up to six months. We try to negotiate that into our lease, right? Because we don't want to pay rent on a space that we're not utilizing. Yeah. Or there's always a chance you might not get your permit. Right. You know, there's there's uh, examples out in like Ocean Beach where people have submitted for licenses and the city denied them yeah a little so misbrewing. It's always yeah exactly so it's always always a risk um so in negotiations with landlords that's usually how you lose the deal right because you try to negotiate in your favor as much as you can so uh anyways long story short we we found this awesome beautiful spot in bankers hill it's on the corner of fifth and palm uh right by balboa park right by the prado the entrance over there really excited about it it's the the building's called the park um, it's a high-rise building, really gorgeous uh, architecture work, very modern, not really our style, right? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of weird at first when we saw the building. We're like, huh, this is kind of not necessarily bland, but it didn't really fit our, our branding. But uh, luckily, we have some creative architects working with us to help us design a, a cool space. And um, my business partner, Matt, who uh, does all of our branding, um, has a great eye for that kind of stuff. So it's kind of cool seeing it come together. But... Uh, just there today, which is cool, uh, right before this, this podcast, and um, met with uh, some of the design team that we're working with, picking out materials, and there's a coal box in there right now, so it's kind of all becoming a reality. But this space, yeah, it's we're, it, the, the landlord is um, a big developer, so it took us a little bit of time to negotiate the deal. It took us probably about six months until we actually had a signed lease. So, You know, I, I, I like the attention to detail that you guys do. Tell us about your design philosophy or Matt Robar's uh, yeah. design philosophy. Yeah, um, I'll steal Matt's fame here a little bit since he's not here. Um, but obviously, the the guy um, has a great eye for design. Um, and um, our our whole concept out of the gates was we wanted to design a brand that didn't necessarily fit the mold of craft beer. Something that was kind of a blend between um, modern and classic, right? Um, almost taking taking a, a little bit out of uh, something away from the the wine industry. Um, 
something high class, clean, but yeah, just just good good quality, right? So simple, Matt. That's one thing about Matt. It's like simple is, is his thing. Like keep it simple. Make the brand stand stand out by itself. Uh, we always talk about the whole the Nike swoop, right? Like, yeah. how do you create a brand where you see that swoop? It's so simple, but you know it's Nike. Uh, that's kind of one thing that we're trying to do with with the Pure Project brand. Um, but yeah, I mean details, everything down to the clothes. Like, we have an eco line that we we try to primarily source from uh, really high quality stuff. It's made out of you know recycled plastic bottles and organic cotton. Um, all of our merchandise is, is it costs us a decent amount to make, um, but it's high quality stuff. You know, one thing too, like our, our big ethos is not we don't we want to limit our impact as much as we can on the environment. So, like we could create you know cheap sunglasses and, and really cheap shirts and hats and stuff like that that probably will fall apart in three to six months. And what are you doing? You're just adding waste to the landfill. So. You go into our store and our hats, you know, you can't find one for, you know, six bucks. They're twenty four to twenty eight dollars a hat. T shirts are around the same price. Our sweatshirts I think are fifty, sixty bucks. We've eliminated the the can collars on our cans to try to reduce the amount of waste that we create. So um, quality is important, but also, you know, how does that impact the environment is I'd say the two largest variables on the decisions we make when it comes to branding and merchandise. When do we um, expect, with uh, you know, barring any delays, any permitting issues, uh, when when should we expect Pure at the Park to open? Uh, um, thanks for using that name, by the way. Um, yeah, Pure in the Park. Um, I mean, we were supposed to be open April first, um, which obviously hasn't happened yet. Um, so, and we're learning. Like this is our first first build, right? And. Um, you always hear the, uh, the people complain about, you know, always being behind schedule and it's part of the process. Um, we say summer 2019, um, I'd like to cement a date, but we're hoping sometime in July would be ideal. Our biggest thing is we want to be open in the summertime because that's big tourist season. It'll be a great way to kick off the brand and obviously the park right there. So hopefully July. A lot of eyeballs, uh, right around Balboa Park, Bankers Hill. There's, um... Obviously, a few festivals going on around that time from Comic-Con all the way to Pride. So Mm -hmm. that's that's a prime time to open. And Carlsbad further down this year? Yeah, so Carlsbad's an interesting interesting scenario because it's not guaranteed at this point. Um, The city of Carlsbad is pretty strict in in development that goes into especially the village, which is where we're trying to get into. Um, the location's off of State Street, and we're going to be sharing, uh, well, hopefully sharing a building with Handles, which is the ice cream company that just went in. Um, but the goal there is we have to go through what they call a CUP process, and not to, to bore the listeners, but it's basically we have to get our concept approved with the city, uh, with the city planners. And we're good four months into that process right now, uh, and we probably have another two or three months to go where we're going to meet with the planning commission and then the city council and do some public hearings and stuff like that. And their biggest goal is they don't want it to become, and no offense, but like a Pacific beach or something like that, where it's just a bunch of bars and you know people are getting rowdy on the streets. They want to keep that kind of classic family charm, which I fully support. So uh, we're on board going through the process. We just don't know if it's a guarantee at this point. Um, hopefully end of the year, if, if things um, move forward over the next few months is when we could be open up there. So uh, There's this event that we're throwing uh, through a business that I have called Liquid City. Um, it's going to be in, in May, May 19th. And you were one of the very first people we approached because of our personal relationship, but also because 
you know, for this event, we wanted to invite uh, the breweries that we believe in and breweries that we think represent San Diego well. And one of the great things that spawned from our conversation is we have a cheesemaker um, based out of uh, Vermont, Jasper Hill Farms, and you guys are doing a collaboration with them. Can you speak about that? First and foremost, thanks for inviting us. Um, I love cheese. <laughs> so it was kind of a no-brainer for us. I mean, we're, we're big into, um, you know, working with, um, you know, food and beer. I think it's food and beverage, obviously. It's a great combina- combination. Um, but also working with really cool farms like Jasper Hill Farms. Um, from the research I've done and what you've explained to me and, and Rob over at Benissimo is they're one of, like, the hippest um, creameries and cheesemakers in, in the U.S. right now. So honored to work with them. Um but what we did, and I brought in a couple of bottles, is um, we sent them over. Um, it's a beer called Everything Gold May Stay, which hasn't been released yet. Um, the release date for that's going to be May 2nd, so uh, you're going to preview before the public does. Uh, but this one is a Golden Flanders style um, sour ale that we aged in oak barrels and we added organic raspberries. Uh, it came from JSM Organics out of Santa Cruz. And this is actually a beer that we did in collaboration with Fruition which is a brewery that I believe is not open yet. I think they're going to be opening pretty soon. Um, but the head brewer, David, he's, um, he used to brew with Winslow, our head brewer and business partner up in Santa Cruz. So talking with the Lee over at Jasper, um, the, the, uh, the cheese they wanted to use was the Willoughby, um, which they sent us some samples, and it's, it's fantastic. And <clears throat> what, what they did is we sent them over some of our beer, and they do a wash on the cheese, which I haven't tried yet. It's, no, it, no it's on has. its way. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping I could get some for this, but um, apparently it's on its way. Um, but yeah, they wanted to do like a, a nice sour beer to pair with it. So yeah, the idea there is to wash the cheese with our, our beer and it should add some some cool flavors to it and color. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this beer is going to have a nice um, kind of like rose kind of color to it. Uh, but the tasting notes they gave me from um, JSM was uh, succulent, buttery, and taste of peanuts and cream, which sounds fantastic to me. So, uh, But we're excited, and we're glad to be able to work with other farms um, that have kind of a similar ethos to us, which is which is cool. And just seeing how they treat their, their cows and stuff like that, obviously it's it's a rad company to, to be able to partner up with. Well, yeah, because of that partnership as well, it launched a series of these collaborations. You know, we have a few, um, I think it's up to seven breweries now and one coffee roaster doing collaboration cheeses. So you will have this unique opportunity to taste something that no one else has ever tasted before, you know, and how cool is that to go to an event um, and experience something quite unique. And we're hoping that over time, not only will this relationship between Jasper Hill and Pure Project happen, Mm -hmm. but, you know, whether it's next year, whether it's um, years down the road, that relationships continue, you know, and when they come out here, there's this certain uh, sense that uh, San Diego is very embracing of collaborating because that is one of the uh, truest things that we do in San Diego beer is this collaborative spirit, this willingness to help. Um, Can you speak about how, you know, as you're, opening up this brewery, mm-hmm. how the local community has helped you, the, the you know, the local industry? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say not just solely local, like just <clears throat> national, international, you know? Like, it's funny, the, the three beers that I happen to bring today are actually three collaborations, right? So the one we mentioned already is, is Fruition. Um, <clears throat> the one that looks like the Scooby-Doo mystery van, uh, Merc Mobile, is actually a brewery out in um, Louisiana called Courtyard. Uh, Scott is actually from, I believe, Escondido, San Diego native. Um, and then the beer right here that we did with, with Alesmith, you know, right down the street. Um, yeah, I mean, the craft beer uh, industry in San Diego as a whole is, is amazing. Um, you know, some people may think, hey, there's a lot of competition in here, which it's true. There is. Um, there's a lot of great beer. So I like that because it brings up the standards, right? Yeah. It makes people make really good quality uh, product out here. Um, but, yeah, everybody's willing to help in any way possible. You know, if, if we need to go and get some yeast or something like that and, you know, we call our friends over at Modern Times and we can roll down there real quick with a keg and, you know, get some yeast out of their tanks, Um same thing with Ailsmith, you know, if we need to, to you know, store something over there or, or vice versa, you know, we can. Um, I'd say the perfect example is just our neighbors, Amplified, Aleworks. Um, people ask us all the time, it's like, hey, does it suck having a brewery right next to you guys, like, competition-wise? I'm like, no, absolutely not, because people that come into their brewery are going to come into ours and vice versa. It, it helps, yeah. you know, it creates a destination spot. Um, and a lot of people ask me, they're like, are there too many breweries in San Diego? And I always say no. It's I kind of compare it to are there too many taco shops? <laughs> right, exactly. Never, right? <laughs> um, or you go to like Napa Valley, right? Are there too many wineries there? Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, the the great thing about you know using Amplify as, as an example, like we share costs with them. You know, we have we we use the same farmer to pick up our grains. Um, we bought a forklift together that we share. Wow. Um, if they need a bag of grain or, or we need something, then they can just come on over and borrow it from us, you know, type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's really cool community to be part of because I come, like I said, from a white-collar background where there wasn't a sort of, you know, sense of community around it. Um, so this is really cool and unique for me, and, and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, a lot of awesome people, obviously, through the process, too. So, yeah, it's great. Where do you live in San Diego? I uh, just moved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moved away from the beach, I guess, kind of to to Point Loma. Getting getting older, so <laughs> I like my peace and quiet up on the hill in Point Loma. Uh, no, a good friend of mine just moved moved down to San Diego, so we decided to to get a place together. So, um, but I've lived in, in a lot of parts of San Diego, and um, so we'll see. This new chapter, I like it uh, so far. You're at capacity. How do you fix that problem? Uh, well, the easy answer is add more tanks, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the question we we keep asking ourselves, right? Um, the, the, the concept, the igniter concept was supposed to be, um, a short-term thing, uh, proof of concept, right? You go in there and you make your six beers and it works and you go off and get your own brewery. It's crazy to see how the industry has transformed in, in just three years, right? Um, it kind of went from people having a lot of core beers and distribution was great and competing for tap handles around San Diego to... That still exists, um, but it's really hard to compete with the big guys on that um, to where it's becoming very hyper-local uh, and more boutique, which is why you're seeing a lot of tasting rooms pop up. Um, but you're also seeing a lot of uh, local bars kind of focusing more on bringing in um, out-of-town beer, which is great because it gets people exposed to, to beer uh, outside of San Diego. I, I understand from you know a, a bar perspective, like your project is right down the street, you know, why would I have their beer on tap when I can have this great beer from, you know, this brewery in Chicago or something like that? It's really rare. What's going to attract people into, into my bar? So it's kind of cool, like, seeing how, how the industry is changing, but um, kind of circling back, our whole thing right now by adding the additional fermentation was in preparation for Bankers Hill um, and Carlsbad because um, our hedgehog is 
focusing more on quality, small batch releases, um, and selling at retail. Because that allows us to obviously have you know a, a much better margin, um, but also maintain the quality of the beer and not have to do larger batches and, and you know kind of be forced to rush the beer and stuff like that because we are so small um, and so retail focused. We can give the beer time it needs. We can still use real fresh ingredients, you know, and focus on organic and work with local farmers and stuff like that. Um, the biggest thing is like <clears throat> you know say we went from. 5,000 barrels to 100,000 barrels. Well, how do you get enough strawberries in the world to <laughs> fill a 100-barrel a tank? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it makes it tough. So for us, I think the, the next progressive step is we could expand more if we wanted to in our current space. We have the room for it. But I think after Carlsbad is open is kind of when we need to decide, hey, where are we going next with our production facility? Um, so those are kind of the discussions we've been having lately because – um, it's going to take time, but ideally the goal would be to move out of our current space, um, probably in the Miramar area, just because we already have that you know flag planted there, and yeah. <clears throat> we have our, our our fans out there that probably hate us to leave. Um, so we'll see. At the end of the year, we'll have to make some big choices, though. Well, it's crazy because like I see your Instagram and I see your Facebook, and sure. all these people come in for these bottle releases and can releases, and you're looking at you know. Not only outside of your uh, tasting room, but sometimes outside of the business park, <laughs> yeah. people are lining up. And yeah. um, does does that? I mean, I was just thinking of this. Like when you have your core beers, that's where you have to focus most of your consistency on. Uh, when you do these special releases, it has to play with your other core beers, maybe. But also, you don't have to, you know, it's usually a one-off. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry necessarily about consist consistency there. Right. And you can focus really on your core beers always being the same and then people enjoying these one-offs as yeah. kind of a treat, like a special. Yeah, I mean, for us, like, consistency is well, I don't want to phrase this the wrong way. Consistency is important to us when it comes to the quality of the beer, right? We we only want to release quality products. Yeah. But to us, we also look at beer as sort of like wine, you know, the vintage years of wine. You know, 2018 may not be as good as a 2017 versus a 2016, or it might taste totally different because there was a drought this year versus not, or maybe this variety of grapes has changed a little bit. It was colder. <laughs> yeah. So the same thing for us. Like, we, we use um, small batch malt. Um, so we get our malt from um, Admiral out of um, San Francisco, the Bay Area. Um, and they source the majority of their malt from farmers in uh, the Central Valley or Sacramento Valley. So it's all California-grown stuff. But they're small farms. They're not the big, you know, giant farms that, for example, Anheuser-Busch might be buying their malt from, where everything is to the T. So even, the, even our base malt might change. Uh, the water profile changes throughout the year. So um, for us, we're okay with that. Um, a good example would be our strawberries this year. So we do a strawberry fest every year. We make a bunch of beers out of strawberries. And last year we had this really cool variety called uh, Priscilla strawberries. They're very light pink, but tons of flavor. Um, the company that grows the, um, the, 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 the baby plants of it discontinued that. So now we're moving over to new variety this year. So the strawberries are different, right? Uh, and we're totally cool with that. Uh, one thing that we like to keep consistent, though, is our Pilsner, um, just because that is a, a classic beer, and we want to keep that on point. But You can't hide behind a Pilsner either. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, but, yeah, the crazy thing is we're trying to not do as many special releases, but we just enjoy it, you know. Um, it gives our brewers a creativity to have fun in the back um, instead of saying, hey, you have to brew this same IPA 
five days out of the week, you know, and it becomes this mind-numbing, mind-numbing, like, robotic job. It gives them the flexibility to kind of be creative but also have fun. So. And to work with other brewers, too, for yeah. these collaborations like you brought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other day I was at Bottle Craft in North Park, okay. and I saw your truck pull up, your uh, uh, delivery truck. Yeah. Um, you self-distribute. We do, yeah. What... Uh, What's that like versus, or why is that decision versus distributing through uh, Craft Beer Guild or yeah. uh, Brown Bag? Yeah, it, that's that's a great question. It's something that we ask ourselves a lot, right? Um, Self distribution is terrible. <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of work. It really is. Um, we don't distribute a lot. You probably don't see our beer too many too many counts nearby, which we're trying to change. I think. For us, um, it's it's a good exposure to a lot of different communities and demographics that aren't going to drive out to Miramar, right? Um, so for us, it's something that we we want to do and, and, and we have to do as a business. Um, but distribution is like signing up with a dis- distributor is um, it's kind of one of those decisions you have to make because it becomes a lifetime decision, right? Um, the state of California, in a way, and I'm not an attorney by any means, but how I understand it is if you if you sign up with a distributor, um, they call it franchise. I think it's like franchise rights or something like that. Um, you're basically giving up your rights to distribute in that state. So, or maybe not the state. It's, it's how the contract's written, right? It's based upon whatever market you give them. So, say we're talking to distributor A in San Diego, and, and they wanted you to sign a contract with them in San Diego County, Orange County, LA County, all that. Uh, well, you're basically selling your rights to those counties to where you can no longer self-distribute your own brand. Um, and distributors, you know, they're in the business to make some money, right? Um, so there's margin that they need to work into um, our beer, which means we have to drop our prices. Because last thing we want to do is our draft accounts have to pay, you know, 30% more for our beer. Our beer is already, you know, relatively expensive based upon the current market. Um, so to us, hey, we don't want to sign away our distribution rights because... You know, you never know. Down the road, as we grow, we may want those, right? Um, but the other thing is, too, is our beer is really, really expensive to make. Um, not just because of our ingredients, but we're a seven-barrel brewery. Yeah. You know? and You're not doing it in volume, so you don't get that discount. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing is, outside of ingredients, it's the labor involved, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it takes the same amount of time to brew seven barrels as it does, you know, 85 barrels. Um, and we have, from what I believe... You know, four of the best breweries and four of the best brewers in San Diego, and we pay them really well because they deserve it. So labor costs are high because we have to turn our brew house three times to fill one tank, right? Yeah. So one batch of beer is basically three brewers' uh, wages going into it, uh, which is fine. So to us, like from a, a cost perspective, it just doesn't make sense to sign with a distributor. Speaking of brewer, your head brewer is Winslow. Yes. Yeah. How young is that guy? Can he drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can. Uh, he well, I mean, he started brewing before he was twenty-one. <laughs> he's like a baby-faced assassin. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, he is he is he's very young. Um, I apologize, Winslow, but I think he's twenty-six now. Yeah. Um, he started brewing at twenty-one, which is funny because when people see him, they see him as a young kid. Like, oh, you know, he probably doesn't have any experience brewing. But you know, if he's twenty-six now, that's five years of brewing experience, which is really you know a good amount of years under his belt for being as young as he is. Uh, or maybe it's six years at this point, um, if I'm not getting his age correct. Um, so he's a very, very talented, very skilled brewer. Um, cool thing about him, uh, you know, 
he is kind of a blend of, you know, a, a mad scientist and an artist, right? You know, um, there's typically two ends of the spectrum. You have a brewer who is like very, very technical and knows the exact science of making beer, right? Uh, and is in a lab the entire time. And then you have just the brewer that's just like, all right, here's what we're brewing today. Let's just, what kind of bags of, of grains do we have? Let's make a beer out of it. And he's, he's kind of in the middle, right? So that's good to have. That's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. So he doesn't, he knows the basics of how to brew something. And because of being very knowledgeable about that base, mm-hmm. he can take off from there. That's a lot of great artists are like that. Yeah. You know, like Picasso. Yeah. You know, he started with classic. Yeah. And he... a Picasso beer. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when you guys are open, you guys have, what, 300 square feet. What is that? 30 people that can fit in your tasting room? Yeah. Um, 30 people that should be in there. Yeah. Uh, but typically, we tend to squeeze a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in there, uh, yeah. For those of you that have been to our brewery, you can understand. Um, if if you if you want to have some space, I would come like on a Tuesday, middle of the day type of thing. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's it's one of those things too. Like as a business, um, having a small tasting room um, and seeing the crowd in there, it, it feels good as a business owner to see the place busy all the time. But you also know there's a lot of people that don't want to come because they know it's going to be a little packed in there and it's not going to be super comfortable. Um, so, you know, we're probably losing a good amount of customers and obviously revenue out of that, which is why instead of, you know, building a giant brewery, like, okay, how do we get our beer, uh, in our, not just our beer, but the, um, the experience, right. Uh, in front of more people, which is why we chose, you know, to come south of, you know, Miramar to downtown and then north to Carlsbad to get our brand out there a little bit more. But instead of just distributing beer to other bars and restaurants, try to create that experience and that culture that we've built in Miramar at these other locations. What's the size of uh, the Bankers Hill one? Um, Bankers Hill inside is roughly 2,000 square feet. Um, And then we have a really, really awesome patio. It wraps around. It's about 1,000 square feet, which would be pretty cool. Um, one side of it, you have views of Balboa Park, which is pretty nice. Um, and it's on the, the Fifth Avenue side, too. So yeah. you get a little bit of sun in the afternoon and maybe a sneak peek of a sunset. Um, so, yeah, I mean, taking 300 square feet and basically tripling that. <laughs> so we can fit a lot of people there, and hopefully we fill it up. What is your main role at Pure? Oh, man. Uh, that's a tough question, right? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's kind of evolved into more just focusing on business development, right? Um, I consider myself a glorified um, project manager. <laughs> um, I always, Matt and I always joke that we're you know, herding cats. You know, I'm just kind of making sure that things move along. But my biggest focus lately has been um, improving our technology at Pure. Um, I do, I, I'm hands-on with our staff quite a bit because... Um, if anybody were to ask me today, like what I'm most proud of about Pure would probably be the culture that we've established. Um, we take really good care of our employees. We're small now, and that's kind of one of the things that we've really I've been focusing on, um, as well as Matt and, and Winslow, is how do you maintain a really solid company culture as you grow? Because um, we're 15 employees right now. We open up two more locations at the end of the year. You're at 40. Yeah, if, if not more, right? Yeah. So how, how do we still make sure everybody feels connected um, and everybody feels like, you know, they have a voice and they, you know, they feel like they're part of the family? So that's something that's really, really been on my mind lately is, is you know, basically being there for my staff um, 
but also working with you know Kira Kira Bouchard who runs yeah. our tap room and and Robbie Baker the man behind the scenes um, making sure they have the tools and the access to kind of take what we've built from a cultural standpoint and um, kind of not necessarily replace us but fill in while we start give, start getting more busy um, so yeah I just I, I do a lot of the business development stuff a lot of the back end stuff and uh, but you'll see me at events and stuff like that. I'll be at the cheese event. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I do miss, uh, I mean, when we first opened up, you know, I was working the bar, helping Winslow in, in, in the back, you know, processing fruit and brewing and stuff like that and filling tanks and um, basically everything. So now that we've grown a little bit, I can kind of focus on just growing the business in, in the way we want to grow it. Well, I always tell business owners this. At some point, you have to trust the people you hire to do the right thing. Um, and you have to focus on one or two things because things are going to fall through the cracks if you don't. And, you know, people that stay in their lane are usually the most successful business owners because of that. Because Winslow's the brewer. Let him brew. Mm -hmm. Don't second guess him constantly because you're going to leave that or he's going to leave you because of that micromanagement, (laughs) right? And Matt's the designer, Mm -hmm. you know. Sure, you're going to have input, but at the end of the day, he's the one that has the idea and the knowledge to do this and you have to also make sure that they don't invade your space (laughs) right and it's it's one of those key things i think that a lot of uh restaurant and business owners in general um fail to realize after year two or three that staying in your lane is one of the most important things to do um so I'm glad to hear that you're doing exactly that. And as you grow, I think that's part of the culture that you um, help install um, and instill yeah. in your um, growing company. Uh, the other thing I was curious about is it Pure Project doesn't have the word beer in it. Sure. You know, it doesn't have brewing. Yeah. It doesn't have anything that pertains to that. Mm-hmm. Um, is it... Is Pure Project more than a beer company? Is that why it's Project? Are you guys sure. doing other, going to focus on other things eventually? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're a water company. <laughs> no, that's, that's a funny thing. When we first opened up, I mean, you look at our logo, you look kind of how clean and simple it is. Literally, people thought we were a water company. Um, we go to beer festivals, people walk up, they're like, are you guys, do you guys have any water? We're like, <laughs> well, we do. Beer is, you know, 95% water. So, yes, here you go. Flavored water. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we did want to kind of keep the brand open. Um, yeah, none of the stuff we have says uh, beer brewing yeah. on it. Um, Which is unique, I think, in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone every, has that. Everybody had their doubts, too. They're like, you guys are crazy. Like, what are you doing? We're like, no. Um, and to kind of answer that question, yeah, we, we, we definitely want to um, have the opportunity. And, and there are some things that we're working on right now to branch the brand off into um, different verticals, right? Um, to us, we want it to be a craft brand. Yeah. Um, but we're doing some really cool projects right now. Um, one thing that we're going to be getting into, um, and that'll be part of the Bankers Hill uh, layout, will be coffee. Um, big fan of coffee. Uh, obviously, gr- living in Costa Rica for three years, I drank some of the best coffee in the world. Yeah. Um, my friends Lance and Adrian had a uh, coffee shop down there and a roastery called Cafe Milagro. So I was always intrigued. I always was down there talking with the roasters and watching the process and all that and learning how they source coffee beans. And, um, yeah, I'm, I, I love coffee. I wouldn't call myself a connoisseur by any means, but uh, borderline coffee nerd. Um, 
I love really good coffee. So one thing that I've always wanted to do was to, to grow a coffee brand out of here. And that's something that we've been talking about. Um, and the landlord over at Maker's Hill was kind of like, well, we want a coffee concept in here with a beer. And we're like, okay, maybe the timing's right. You know, maybe this is when we need to, to execute. So uh, we're in the process of developing that right now. Um, what we're starting to do is do um, some very limited uh, coffee releases. We just did a, ca- a collaboration release with um, James Coffee. I'm a big fan of them. They make amazing coffee. I love their branding. The people over there are just really, really cool people. I don't know if you yeah. had any of them before. And they're down here in uh, Banker's Hill, too. Yeah, they're actually going to be our neighbors, which yeah. is cool. Um, so we gave them one of our bourbon barrels that we had used, um, and they aged some coffee in it, uh, some some beans in it, and roasted it, and we released it uh, for St. Patrick's Day. And they did a really cool, like, um, what they call it, like an Irish latte. Um, and I think they used like uh, green food coloring in it, so the uh, the foam on it was green. Uh, but it turned out fantastic. It was bourbon barrel aged coffee beans, um, and we packaged it as a collaboration. Um, so what we're going to be doing going forward is more barrel aged coffee releases. Um, you know, every other month, something like that, and try to grow some some awareness uh, for our brand. Um, but there will be a, a full fledged coffee concept coming down the road. That's about all I can share for now. So. Well, thank you for yeah, sharing of that. Of course, yeah. Um, so, to wrap this up, we'll see you at the uh, Cheese Expo on May 19th at Brick Liberty Station. Uh, we'll see you in Bankers Hill. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we leave? Any any events coming up? Um, yeah, I would just say one thing. Uh, Strawberry Fest is coming up, which we're really excited about. Um, the main reason why I want to talk about this is I want to give uh, JR Organics um, a shout-out. Um, JR Organics is um, it's a fourth-generation family farm out, of, out in Escondido. Uh, they were one of the first uh, organic-certified farms in Southern California. I believe it was in the 80s. And we met with them. They're, you see them at the farmer's markets, yeah. and they have some of the best strawberries, and it's strawberry season right now. So every year we do Strawberry Fest where we release um, three or four different beers using their strawberries. Um, so Strawberry Fest for us is going to start May 16th. Uh, excuse me, May 9th. Uh, three beers that we're doing this year are going to be uh, Sunset Crush, uh, which is probably one of our most famous cream ales that we do. It's a vanilla cream ale with a bunch of strawberries. Mm. Absolutely delicious, yeah. Great for summer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we have a, what we call a Merkshake series, which is our triple IPA. Uh, that we add vanilla to. Um, and then this one, we're going to add, obviously, tons of strawberries. And then the new one we're doing this year is <clears throat> kind of a style that we've been adding to our portfolio, which is our sour double IPAs. Uh, we've done quite a few different ones, but this year we're doing Strawberry Magic, which will be a strawberry sour double IPA with um, milk sugar in it. So uh, that one, I believe, is May 23rd. So yeah, uh, we're really excited about it. Strawberry Fest every year has been pretty cool for us. And the main reason why I like to talk about this is because JR Organics every year grows a lot of strawberries just for us, and we've created this really, really great relationship with them. Uh, and that's kind of the story that we've developed with a lot of farmers. Um, and yeah. it goes you know, hand-in-hand with our brand. And the local, the, the local farmers kind of are coming and going these days. You know, It's hard to make money farming. Um, so if we can support as many local farms as we can, you know, we, we try. So. Jesse, you're doing it right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, so visit them at their current location in Miramar. Give the address. Uh, 9030 Kenamar Drive, and it's Suite 308. Right next to Amplified. Yep. Uh, they're going to be opening up on uh, on Bankers Hill, 5th Avenue. The address there is? Uh, that's 2865 5th Avenue. Hit them up this summer, and pray that the city of Carlsbad <laughs> yes. hooks them up with uh, Pure at the 
Pure on the Pacific. Pure in the Village. Pure in the Village. Pure in the village. Yeah, we'll be right downtown in the village off State Street. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming in. Follow them on Facebook, on Instagram. You've been listening to Kiss My Glass with host Edwin Rial and guest Jesse Pine. This podcast is a monthly collaboration between Pacific Magazine and the Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego, hosted on the UT Podcast Network. A special thanks to our sound editor, John Kelly, for making sure you can hear us loud and clear. I'm Leslie Hackett, editor-in-chief of Pacific Magazine, and I'm here to wrap things up with a few food and drink events coming to San Diego. As mentioned in the podcast, the Cheese Expo is coming up on May 19th and is the brainchild of the newly formed Liquid City, created by former Kiss My Glass podcast guest Robert Graff of Vanissimo and host Edwin Rial. This Sunday event will highlight local breweries, coffee roasters, distillers, kombucha and cider makers alongside nationally and internationally renowned cheeses and their makers. Expect unique collaborations, educational presentations, and demonstrations throughout the day. Tickets and more info can be found at eventbrite.com. Backtracking a little to April 28th, Fishmonger and host Tommy Gomes of Catalina Offshore invites guests to dine at Dinners for Good, which will include a gourmet five-course tasting menu plus paired drinks during a live cooking demonstration from Chef Matt Gordon and Sam the Cooking Guy Zine. Details are available at kitchensforgood.org. May 2nd, we'll see double the fundraising events with the 10th annual Eat, Drink, Read, a culinary event for literacy, and the 13th annual Dining Out for Life. The former, hosted at the San Diego Air and Space Museum at Balboa Park, will feature top San Diego chefs creating culinary pairings inspired by their favorite literary characters. Details for this event can be found at literacysandiego.org. Dining Out for Life takes place at various participating venues around San Diego County with local restaurants, bars, clubs, and coffee houses pledging to donate at least 25% of the day's sales to support the services and programs offered by the San Diego LGBT Community Center in Hillcrest. This is just the first serving of great food and drink events. More can be found at PacificSanDiego.com. Be sure to follow Pacific on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at PacificSD for more cool events to keep you busy all year long. Craving more? Don't forget to sign up for this podcast and our Food Forward podcast, Dish It Up, which hits airwaves on the second Monday of the month. Cheers!